an iguana, a tegu, the chameleon especially, the colors, you will see the difference. You keep a panther chameleon inside for two years and then you bring it outside, you will see the difference in color without having to change the diet or anything else. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. So, as everyone knows, the world is completely different than the last time I had spoken to you guys. Obviously, there's protests going on all over the country. Um, and quite frankly, I feel really bad or I've missed not mentioning this or saying anything about this. And I feel kind of weird doing a podcast right now. But the matter of the fact is that in this country, unfortunately, not everyone is treated equally. And I see a lot of people post about Black Lives Matter on social media with a mob of comments saying all lives matter. And listen, I hear you. But Black Lives Matter is not meant to be at the exclusion of anyone else. African-Americans make up 13% of the population, yet make up 36% of unarmed individuals killed by police. All lives matter will not matter until we focus on black lives. And I know it's weird me saying that, obviously. And I understand that it's something that I will never, never understand. And I've never had to worry about being treated poorly by law enforcement or anyone else based on the color of my skin. But... I guess all I can say to anyone who's listening to this is that don't stop saying what you believe in. Don't stop standing up for yourself. I know a lot of weird things are going on. I know I just saw that uh, our president had a press conference and threatened to send troops to major U.S. cities, you know, to force <laughs> to basically stop things from happening, to stop people from talking, to stop people from basically standing up for their rights and protesting for what they believe in. And that's just something that quite frankly, I don't believe in. And all I want to say is that I hear you, I see you. And this is quickly becoming the largest civil rights protest in history. And I'm confident that the world also sees and hears you. And I just want to let everyone know that black lives matter. And that is something that I stand for as well. So uh, yeah, that's all I really have to say about that weird times. So I'm not going to do an ad in front of this. I don't know. Poorcitypythons.com. You got all that good stuff. But anyway, so today's guests, I mean, are really just people that I look up to as far as people who are in my generation of herpers, young people who have gotten together. David and Manny of Tiki's Geckos have created a company and really, really worked hard and are making their dream possible. So uh, David, Manny, David, I guess, welcome back. And Manny, welcome to the show. What's up, man? How are you, Joe? I am doing okay. So yeah. obviously, like like I said before, if, if people haven't listened to the first episode, it was probably two to three years ago. So I'm sure uh, yeah. there's a lot more people that, that are going to listen to this one. So if you haven't listened to that one, go listen to that first. 
that first episode and learn how David got into it. But Manny, how did you get it first get into reptiles? So my love for animals, honestly, was with me since I was a kid. I was always fascinated, interested by animals. And actually, my grandfather, when I was a little kid, taught me how to fish in my backyard. And my first journey into breeding animals was actually with fish and birds with my grandfather and my dad. And once, honestly, I was in high school, I met David. And um, I remember I went to his house and uh, I just see like a bunch of little crested gecko containers and tubs. I'm like, whoa, what is this? Um, he basically taught me like, he's like, yo, you can actually keep these guys and hold them. It's like so different from my beta fish that I used to breed back in high school. And I honestly instantly fell in love. Like soon after he taught me a lot and sold me my first crested gecko that I have till this day. So that's what really got me into um, these animals. And then once I started, you know, acquiring some of my own and honestly, the turning point for me was when I got my first panther chameleon. I was just absolutely blown away at their beauty and, you know, just their character and just all that. And um, I've never looked back from that day. And now we, you know, thankfully we're doing this together. And and it's good because not only do we share the same love, we're actually also like best friends. So that, you know, that helps a lot. Yeah. So how do you guys kind of split responsibilities? Um. Or- that's, yeah, that's... You know, we just kind of one first things first, and I think it's really important. We trust each other. Yeah. Um, we trust each other to make our own decisions. Um, I handle a lot of the maintaining the animals, specifically more the non-New Caledonian gecko stuff, um, the blue tongues, the chameleons, the Euromastics, basically everything that's not a New Caledonian gecko. I'm basically taking care of. You know, trying to breed and trying to take care of all that stuff. Um, and David actually handles most of the online work, the contacting of uh, customers, the the promoting, obviously, you know, with the Instagram, the TikTok, the YouTube, all that stuff. So, you know, we kind of divide work into that. Obviously, if one needs help, we're going to help each other as much as we can. And, you know, thankfully, we have some really great employees, too, that help us a lot. Yeah. So how did Tiki's Gecko start? I mean, what did you guys start with as far as animals go? So, um, I mean, we started with a couple geckos uh, that I kept as pets. And basically, I, I just kept them as pets. And then I started to breed them just as a hobby and just try to, to pay for itself. And, you know, before you know it, you know how it is, Joe. Like, you get a bunch of animals and you want to get a couple more different colors, different patterns. And, and then one day, you know, I found out that I could do this as a business and I could actually make a living out of it. So I was like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do now. And then obviously, I like Manny said earlier, I met him in high school. Then we've been like best friends ever since. He's like my brother. And like, so since he had the same passion and then he was starting to get into the, the panther chameleons and the blue tongue skinks. And I was doing geckos, but I was also kind of branching out into different kinds of species of lizards. And it's just like, it just made sense to, you know, like come together, do business together. And then we've, you know, we've done great so far. Yeah. So how do you, how do you balance as far as, uh, or really what I want to ask is, David, how did you decide that you wanted a partner in the first place in business? Well, um, it kind of came naturally because, I mean, no matter what anybody says, this a business doesn't get built by one person. Um, I mean, like Manny has helped tremendously 
my parents, my family, my friends, even like the little things, just like little pieces, little breaks that slowly start to form a foundation and a wall. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's just like step by step and, and just, it's, it really just became like, it just came so naturally. It's hard to even explain because we were both doing it as a hobby at first. And we were just like, yo, we were sending each other things. Like, yo, look at this animal. Look at this. We, I want to get that. I want to get this. And then we're like, yo, let's just do it together. And boom. Who really drives the, like the business mind behind it? Are both of you guys into the business side as well as the animals? Or is there a person who's kind of business dominant and animal dom- dominant? <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm i'm a little bit more business minded because um just from my my background with my family and stuff and so i've you know i kind of moved it a couple ways that i wanted to especially with like the social media and like how to promote the brand and things like that and just like overall how to take care of the customers and stuff but you know we both do a little bit of each you know yeah, and I know speaking on that, I mean Ryan was just saying that you guys are killing it on TikTok. So how did you guys first get started? Because I know really you build your business, it seems like on the back of social media. So hundred uh, percent. What was kind of your strategy starting out? Well, to be honest, it, there was no strategy at first. At first I was just making videos because like I knew that people needed like there was a lot of people with misinformation out there. And then, and honestly, as a kid, like as a freaking, I don't know, like 15 year old kid, probably, I probably shouldn't be making like YouTube videos, but it started and like, I was learning as I went with the social media. And I also saw that how much growth and how much kind of like reach you could get with it. And it's such a powerful tool for any business because it's literally free. You could sign up, you know, make your Instagram profile, make your YouTube uh, channel or TikTok or whatever and just open up to so many different eyes. And if that many eyes see you, then you're just going to get that much more business because more people know you. So it's just, it's just very common sense. But um, the only thing is it it does, it's very like, uh, you have to be on top of it. It's very, you got to be consistent. It doesn't work if you're like three months in and then you take two months off and then you go back for a month and then no, you got to be consistent the whole way through. And this is taking years and years and years to build. It's not something that, you know, some people are lucky enough to blow up in one year or something, but not here. It's, it's taken a long, long time. What was the quality like of your videos? Like what skills were you starting out with? Were they, were you just a, a savant of some sort? Oh man, it's embarrassing. I, I watch those videos sometimes, man, and we cringe and we were so yeah. young. Like some of the videos were like so young, have like no, no facial, facial hair. hair. We're like, oh. like kids. Um, but yeah, it, over the years, I've just learned how to edit the videos a little bit better gotten a little bit better equipment because you know obviously we could afford it now versus when i was a, a 15 16 year old kid uh but it's been fun man it's it's been a lot of fun and and um you know i i just see i just think that as we go on we're still going to be improving too yeah and every time like you know we do it we get better and better yeah um you could tell in those beginning videos man yeah. they're very cringy very uh, awkward and there's a we we get we get nervous in front of the camera and you know, have to do constant like takes, but now yeah. we just honestly, it's like, we got it down to where we basically do just one take. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's funny because we used to have this section on our old videos that were the bloopers. It was like all our mess ups, and then like as we got as we got better, 
the bloopers were hilarious, but like we don't have bloopers because we don't we don't mess up as much. <laughs> so really, what uh, when when did Manny come into the videos? I mean, were you were you cool on camera like right away? Were you were you prepared to do that? Did you want to do that in any I mean, capacity? Yeah, I um, I was nervous, but he definitely kind of was like, he's like, come on, man, let's just do it. I'm like, all right, but I was nervous, but you know, he'd help me out. Um, he's definitely made a few videos before I ever yeah. were in them. Um, you could definitely tell by the quality. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, he just gave me some tips, and like we were saying before, the more we did it, the more we got better at it. And then as far as the, the setup that you have, I mean, last time when I talked to, when I talked to David, he yeah. was, I think in his childhood bedroom and, uh, and yeah, he yeah. was, uh, and I think everything was out of the house. So what's your so current was, situation? It, it was about, it had to be at least two years ago, maybe even three, Joe, because, um, last time we spoke, like last time we did this, the podcast, I was the for, Tiki's geckos was in my parents' garage still. So like it was right about to go. I think when I spoke to you, I was actually looking for a new spot. So we did find a new spot. It's actually a house that's owned by his aunt. So like the whole place, the backyard, everything is for reptiles. And we don't live here, but this is where we come and we work. Dude, I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, even just for someone listening right now, you can literally in the time that I've been uh, sitting on my hands apparently and doing nothing with this podcast. You have nah. built a whole business. <laughs> I've seen you grow too, man. I've seen you grow. Trust me. And I see that now you're doing some geckos too. <laughs> uh, I'm just dipping the toe. I'm a little that's nervous, good, but that's good, man. That's awesome. That's how we started, man. We like, rem- like, like I said earlier, we just started with geckos, New Caledonian stuff, and then you know started dipping our toes into other stuff: blue tongue skinks, panther chameleons. And now we got freaking snakes and giant black sea monkey yeah, tree frogs, everything. Yeah, I think what I've really been surprised at is all the variety you've had. Uh, just kind of random, one-off, kind of rarer things that I've seen you guys been uh, putting up. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it's like like Pokemon. Like, yeah, you <laughs> you like all these animals, and you're like, oh man, I wish I could have them all. And it, we're so privileged that we get to actually work with all these guys. So. And being in the business for so long, we know a lot of different people that have rare species of animals that we could get our hands on. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing, man. I, when I was a kid, I did not expect this at all, but I'm sure I'm happy we, I'm here right now. How important is proximity to, I mean, all these giant reptile companies, distributors, importers, all that stuff? Uh, It's super important. There's, just the fact that we could go and pick out animals ourselves is so important because obviously when you're working with so many animals and imports and stuff like that, or not even, even if it's just like a nice batch of animals, you want to pick out the nicest stuff personally, you know? And then we got a lot of big distributors here, like you're saying, and we, we could basically drive to all of them. So that's what we do. And that's why I think is, you know, that's why I think we also do very good with a lot of the, other reptiles that we don't breed because we actually go and see the animals in person, make sure they're healthy, make sure they look good, their colors are vibrant, and we, and we can pick it out right then and there. And not only just that, um, these guys have been in business for uh, basically as long as we've been alive. So they yeah. teach us a lot as well. Yeah. You know, very important business things. And we also learn how to not do things as well, how we don't want to do things. Yeah. We actually had a conversation like last week where like, 
we can't get these like you know certain things like this we don't want that you know right so i think that's very important as well we have all these people here that can honestly teach us and have taught us a lot and how'd you guys kind of get that in what do you mean Meaning like, how did you, how'd you build the relationship with those companies and kind of get, you know? Well, for being in the industry so long and, you know, just being at reptile shows, you meet a lot of people, but both of us worked for underground reptiles a couple of years back. And I've known the owner of underground reptiles for a long, long time. I mean, since I was, I was, he was, he used to go to the gym. I trained when I was like 15 years old and then I, I would go to his store all the time. And then there's other people, distributors around here that, you know, since we started the business and we're getting more new animals, we go and we talk to them. And just like over time, we've, we've built relationships with these people. And behind you, I mean, I see all these kind of naturalistic setups and stuff going on. I saw you posted a video of this Abronia setup, which was just, absolutely ridiculous yeah so what's kind of your your methodology as far as setting up animals it seems like you've been kind of uh keeping a mix of you know pretty simple stuff but also you know very very naturalistic as well yeah so a couple things that you know we set up an animal depending on where they come from you know so are they from a humid rainforest are they from the dry desert you know so we look at that um, for example, we have a whole hot room, not venomous, but um, hot as in <laughs> the temperature is hot um, for all of our hot and dry animals. So anything like bearded dragons, Euromastics, blue tongue skinks, anything like that is we're going to move it in that room because it's just naturally warmer and they like it like that. If they like, you know, dry environments, um, there's a bunch of different substrate we use. Um, like for Euromastics, they come from rocky uh, rocky area so we're going to use some little rocks pea pebbles stuff like that so we really got to look at where the animal comes from its geography and what are the requirements of it like the abronias humid and but they're in higher altitude so they like cooler temps so we move them to a cooler part of the house and we provide you know the branches the humid substrate the uv light all the things they require to thrive we also throw in if you like you said you saw the video um they love bromeliads in the wild, that's where, you know, they're always found in bromeliad. So we just littered the cage with bromeliad. So we just really got to look at where the animal com- comes from what and what are their needs. And do you get to take advantage of that uh, South Florida weather at all? Do you keep any animals outside? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's the best part, man. I mean, we have tegus outside, day geckos, chameleons, iguanas. So it, it's just so awesome that we – the whole year they could be out there pretty much unless there's a hurricane coming and then we got to bring them in. Um, but when, even in the winters, it doesn't get that cold here at all. All those animals can withstand it. So we just leave them out there. Do you find that there's any type of different behavior or just any benefits to the animals being outside slash being inside? I mean, versus being Absolutely. inside? Absolutely. There is nothing better than natural UV for the reptiles that need it. Obviously like an iguana, um a tegu the chameleon especially the colors you will see the difference you keep a panther chameleon inside for two years and then you bring it outside you will see the difference in color without without having to change the diet or anything else and then obviously um so like you, you asked about like the behavior so the tegus for example when you put them outside in that heat they just get like 
they're that much more vigorous. So it's really cool to see. Like it's like their instincts kick in a little bit more. They're still our puppies, but but uh, they definitely when we when we first took them out, they were like there was a, a little week of like wildness in them for sure. And it's pretty cool because uh, like some of the animals, like for example, chameleons, you notice less of like certain diseases that you would when you house them indoors. Like mm -hmm. for an example, vitamin A deficiency. You see it a lot in indoor chameleons that they start like closing one eye, the other one, it's usually a vitamin A deficiency. I've never seen that when I've kept the chameleons outside for a very long time. Never had that issue before. Yeah. Only with like, I've only seen that with indoor chameleons. So that's one of the benefits with keeping animals outside. And like we said, thankfully we live in South Florida, so we can basically keep anything outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's super awesome. And I feel like, yeah, you guys are, you guys are onto something as far as in so many aspects, you know, it's so hard to recreate nature. So what makes us think yeah. that we can just put a light bulb up there and just cause it has a certain yeah. amount of UVA or UVB it's assumed to be fine. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, a lot of these animals, like you don't see the difference until you actually post, like put them outside. Like for example, I had, I, I just got this, um, this albino iguana and that was raised inside and it's a beautiful animal, but the, we put it, since we're here in Florida, we put it, we're housing it outside. And in a couple of weeks, that thing started getting more orange and it's just that much more vibrant. So it's like, it's really, it's really cool to just see that change in like a couple of weeks. Now I have heard that those albino iguanas, I mean, that everyone says that they're a little bit sensitive as far as their eyes go. Is there anything, yeah. have you seen that? Is there anything you can do about it? Yeah, so the and the albino, I think most albino animals are going to be sensitive to the light because they have no melanin in their in their eyes. So it's just especially when they're they're younger and they're like they're they're not fully formed yet that the light will just go right through and they they like to stay in the shade most of the time. But what we do basically is make sure that they have enough shading. Um, they do get certain areas that they could bask during the day. Uh, but it's mostly under shade, so they could just hide away if they want to. And how do you keep as far as uh, groups of iguanas? I mean, I've heard that you can't keep males together. Then again, I've seen groups of like so many iguanas together without any, you know. Yeah. Any so, so we don't we don't breed the iguanas here. Um, the the albinos I got are just like pets, really, that were growing out. But I've for the most part, a lot of these iguanas are, are going to rather be by themselves. But like even in like by my house, there's like a ton of wild iguanas. And you will see like there's big males that always hang out with a couple females. So as long as there's appropriate amount of space and there's not like two males in one cage, then it shouldn't be a problem. But the space is that, you know, as long as they have enough space, you could keep like a male with a couple females because we see it here in the wild all the time. Yeah, I guess uh, that is kind of weird that you can actually have interactions with wildlife, with like the Florida wildlife. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you see do you see any animals hanging around and kind of benefiting off of what you're giving your animals? Oh, oh yeah. Every, every time we go outside to feed the um, the chameleons or whatever, anything that eats the bugs outside, whatever jumps out of my hand or whoever's feeding his hand, the brown anoles, curly tails, all that stuff. Marine toes. We Marine actually toes. we actually did a video of us herping in our little yard. Like we didn't even leave our yard. We just herped and caught like a couple different species of animals that are just here 
munching off of the of the crickets that we and they're very the bold as soon as that bug hits the ground they're on Whoa. top of it before you can even bend down and pick it up yeah dude that is what you're surrounded by animals that you're meant to keep as well as animals that just show up it's yeah yeah Florida, yeah man. i love it man i love it man i was i was actually paddle boarding the other day and i'm just like seeing brown basilisk uh green iguanas like all kinds of like animals and i'm just like wow like I'm in paradise. Like, this is the best spot to be like reptiles. <laughs> yeah, and I think that kind of extends to the people too, right? I mean, you guys have so many reptile people in comparison. Like, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you can even grasp it because obviously you've always been in Florida, but like, you know, up here you, you have your people kind of spread out every every which way. But I mean, Florida is just so dense with with reptile people. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you go to Miami, there's a reptile shop around the corner everywhere. Um, yeah, and a lot of our friends who are also reptile people are all like, what, within 10 miles? Yeah. And it could be like 20 of us. Yeah, we have a lot of, yeah. Like, and that's the, the people that we know. And there's a ton of others that we don't know that are also in the area. So. Yeah, I think I think we might have like the largest like reptile like people. Community. I think us in California for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And now Maybe I mean, talk talking about all those people i mean you guys have probably had to ask on other help other than just you guys at this point right yeah yeah so um us two and then we three more employees and how do you go about and i mean i'm kind of in this this area right now where i'm kind of at the spot where i just need one person just to kind of clean cages maybe a couple times a week or something like that so how do you go kind of vetting out of people and and finding someone to do that so luckily, um, since like we were saying earlier, we know so many people in this and, you know, animal people and reptile people. I just I just I, I can literally get like 10 people that, I, that could do a good job here. Um, but, yeah, it's just been recommendations of people that from people that I really trust and that they tell me, oh, they're good workers or people I know in the in the in the animal world. So it's easier to teach somebody that knows about animals how to do something, like how to take care of a crested gecko or a monkey tree frog or whatever, than it is to get somebody fresh off the street that does not that doesn't know anything about animals, and and teach them everything from scratch. But it's also just important to have somebody that you trust. I think that's the most important part because you know we're here. There's a lot of expensive animals here, and there's a lot of like. You know, it's just you want to have somebody you could trust always. Yeah, I guess I guess cleaning cages really isn't that difficult, but you know, anyone could do it. But then again, yeah. you know, you want someone who's attentive to your animals and everything like that and can spot right. the problem. But I mean, yeah, you also don't want people who you distrust. I mean, that's probably the, the number one thing. That's the number one for sure. At least for me. Like that's the number one. And now how do you go about like you're talking about all these different animals that you have and how do you go about when you're trying to look for for a new animal to get and kind of teaching yourselves to do that and then you gotta you you just taught yourself and then you kind of have to pass it on to the employees too and how do you go around like husbandry of that yeah so so luckily what happens is that a lot of these animals are very similar so when we talk about like for example arboreal lizards a lot of them are going to be very very similar some might have a, a little differences but for the most part when we're talking about an arboreal lizard a nocturnal you know gecko they're all going to be very similar so of course you know we do our research um 
a lot of times it's like we come about these animals at a reptile oh, show man. or like a Facebook post or something yeah. and we're like, yo, what is that? And then like yeah. we send that to each other and we're like, all right, let's find out how we can get this. Yeah, and then we're like, I'm going to get it. And when the other one's like, nah, man, sure. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And we get it. Yeah, exactly. So, I think it's, I think yeah. it's important to, to kind of point out is that, you know, all of us, agree that hey you should do proper research before getting an animal but then again when you have hundreds of animals and you kind of know the parameters and you you Mm -hmm. always have a few things at home cages lying around and it's like you can make it work exactly joe it's like if somebody that's never kept any snakes wants to get like a you know a freaking ball python or something they have to do their due diligence they have to do their research right but you've kept you know a lot of different species of snakes and you're going to get another one you know how snakes you know the for the most part you know the behavior you know what they like you know how some snakes you know the type of environment most snakes come from so it's easier for the for you to pick something up when it comes to a new animal so you you still have to do your research but you know you're not going to be freaking out if the animal doesn't eat the first three days because you know that you know and sometimes it takes a minute for example i don't know yeah, I think I think what's real cool, especially about like uh, those gecko species, those New Caledonia geckos, is that there is a, a good amount of variety. I mean, you can keep oh, on yeah. like you can keep on kind of testing new boundaries and, and new species and stuff like that. But they all kind of have seem to have some pretty basic parameters. Yeah. So can you talk about a little bit about how you went from like crested geckos, gargoyle geckos? Now, I mean, you have chihuahuas and you have those hell i don't even know how to or what the latin names are i was looking at my friend chris was showing me a whole bunch of them and there's a bunch of amazing species um new caledonian geckos yeah yeah the the good thing about the new caledonian geckos is that they are super super simple and part of that is because of what they eat a lot of them will the staple diet is going to be you know the crested gecko diet rapashi or pangea so that makes life a lot easier because crickets are annoying, man. They're such like, annoying. They we, die. You gotta you gotta go load yeah, them. Yeah, feed you them. Gotta, you gotta. Yeah. They die. They smell like so. Reducing the amount of crickets that you feed is gonna be that much easier. And you know, crested gecko, a gargoyle gecko, and a lichianis, same kind of temperature range, same kind of like humidity, pretty much. So, you know, it's easy to hop from one to the other and to the other. <laughs> All you got to do is basically adjust tank size or something. And now I want to talk because obviously I just got crested geckos and gargoyle geckos and all that stuff. I was super stoked when I saw it. I'm looking through your Instagram. I'm like, no way. You got gargoyle geckos now. Yeah, I think what I was, I was really surprised how much I enjoy the gargoyle geckos. Now they are like the crested geckos I'm comfortable with. I've kept them before. Yeah, the gargoyle geckos are kind of a wild card for me, and they kind of mute, move a little bit more freely than a crested gecko. Like the the crested geckos are kind of like lumbering and a little like they're not going to get away from me. But right. I feel like the gargoyle geckos are, are a little bit more shifty, um, right, but right, not right. awfully not awfully bad in comparison to pretty much every other lizard species or gecko species. Yeah, they're pretty docile for the most part. So, can you talk about? Um, kind of what what products are you working with i mean obviously something like deadpool is your giant line i mean how did that come to be um well basically deadpool is one of these red stripe gargles that i acquired from 
um, a friend of mine, and that animal has been like, it's just been a cornerstone animal for us. Um, but uh, actually, I got somebody knocking on the door real quick. But, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So it's been a cornerstone animal for, for us. And the we've selectively bred that line to be as, as red as possible. And as far as lineage goes for, for gargoyle geckos and stuff like that, I mean, how does that work? What are, what are the right ways to go about, you know, naming a project or a lineage or are there morphs? I mean, how do you, how do you name these things? Um, well, a lot of the morphs are already named, so I don't have to like necessarily <laughs> make something up. But for example, for the Deadpool, um, that was just the name I liked for the gecko. Like I thought it matched the gecko perfectly. And I also think it's very important for you reptile people out there that are breeding animals. It's important to get an animal that is like, that people are gonna kind of like, like, kind of like, what? Like know you for like, yeah, like recognize kinda, like, yeah, some, an like, animal wow. that they're gonna recognize, an animal that they're gonna know you for, an animal that is obviously beautiful and everything, but that's a part of marketing, like getting, people to recognize that animal and wanting to get babies from that animal that's like part of what we do too you know yeah that deadpool is like anything that gets put next to a gargoyle that's for sale says deadpool <laughs> is just gone instantly because yeah. you know it's such a popular guy and the name just is so fitting right and it's not just obviously the name but it's all it's the genetics because if it didn't have that it wouldn't be where it is the the animal deadpool himself produces some like incredible red striped animals that hold their color so well. A lot of times people will say, oh, here's a red stripe. Like they're both red striped geckos, but it doesn't mean the same thing. I mean, you know this, Joe, like some animals, you could you could have a albi lavender albino ball python and another lavender albino ball python, but they could be very, very different in terms of the how crisp the color is, how how much it pops, how you they know. keep it too as they get older. Yeah, exactly. How they keep the color as they age. So it's very important. So let's talk about a little bit about coloring as they age. So when they hatch, is there any type of coloration that's different from when they're adults? No. So when they hatch, they are they're brown. They're a brown lizard. It hatches like any other brown striped gargoyle gecko, and it is going to be. Like I know because it's my line and I've seen them hatch over the years, but there are certain like for example the really red stripes gargoyle geckos might have a little bit of like a orangey brown on them, but as they shed in the next couple of weeks you'll start to see the orange come on and they start orange and they a lot of them will go fully red and some will stay orange some will be orange and red, but so it depends on the lines, and that's why it's important to know lineage on some of these animals because. Like I said, when if I show you two gargoyle geckos that just hatched, they're both red stripes. One could be a Deadpool line that's going to be absolutely super red and saturated as an adult. And then one could be like, it's going to be a nice red stripe, but it's not going to be nearly as high quality. But when they both hatch, they look exactly the same. So that's why it's important to kind of know the lines and stuff. And how long do you keep them back? I mean, I'm guessing you're not selling them right out of the egg because you're not you know, I guess you could never be a hundred percent sure. And plus you want to get that, that baby established. So uh, how long yeah. do you hold them back typically? Yeah. So we, so we hold them, I hold them for, especially the Deadpool, the Deadpool stuff. I like to hold a little bit longer because the colors, you know, sometimes some animals will take a little bit more to develop, 
a, a couple more weeks to develop. So I'll just hold it to make sure I'm not selling something I might want to keep or I'm not undervaluing it or overvaluing it, you know? So that's what I, I'll keep it for about, like, let's say a gargle, gecko, red stripe, gargle, gecko, maybe around like three months or so before I sell it. And are you starting those off? I mean, just on like your basic crested gecko diet or what are they eating? Yeah, yeah. So we start them all off on the diets. We we rotate all the flavors of Pangea and Rapashi because first, because variety is key with these animals. I think um, if you just feed one type of food the whole time, I don't think that's good for any animal. I think every food has like a, a little bit a variety in, in terms of the nutrients it brings to the animals. So we like to give them variety. And also because, you know, people, I might sell this gecko to somebody that only feeds Rapashi or only feeds Pangea. So I want the animal to be used to a wide variety of different foods. I think the thing that most threw me off when I had first gotten the Gargs was that I was feeding uh, my crested geckos on, on the same schedule as, as the gargoyle geckos. And my cressets were eating and my gargs were just not even eating nearly as much. So can you talk yeah. about, I mean, are there different feeding rates there? How much do you feed in comparison to a crested gecko or? Yeah. So, um, we, we feed them all pretty much the same, but we do like, for example, if you're feeding an animal and you see that next time you go to feed that animal, the bowl is completely cleaned out. Then you add a little bit more next time. And we kind of go on an individual basis. Um, so because because there are some gargoyle geckos that will eat pig out every single time you put food in there. And then there are some that won't be as vigorous. So it just depends on 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 the animal, on the specific animal. But it's also important. There's certain things you could do to get their appetite going a little bit more, keeping it a little bit warmer, you know, um, especially for gargoyles like that. Yeah, that yeah, really increases their appetite a lot, like 79 degrees. Yeah, um, that definitely gets them going more. But like, as David mentioned, it kind of is on an individual animal basis as much as they eat. You know, yeah. some animals are just going to grow at ridiculous rates, no matter how much you feed yeah. them. And others are just going to you feed it exactly the same, but it's just growing a lot slower. Yeah. And are they just as readily feeding on, on insects? Are you giving them any insects? So gargoyle geckos are a little bit harder to get on insects at, at a young age. Um, a lot of times you can throw insects in there and they'll go for them right away. But we, we actually did a, a YouTube video on this also. There's some, a couple of tricks that you could do that will, that will kind of like get the gecko started on crickets. You, for example, you grab the little cricket, you rip off its head. If, if you're throwing live crickets in there and the gecko's not eating, sounds it sounds like psychotic. It's true. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like braining a pinky. So you grab you grab a, a little cricket, you rip off its head where the juice comes out, and you put it <laughs> close towards the, the gecko's mouth. I'm going to swim a little bit to the right. When they, <laughs> when they taste that, they go for it a lot of the time. Sometimes it takes you a couple tries, but yeah. So it's, don't Do ask me who finds and, and giggle while you rip the head off yeah no you actually got to be very oh yeah that's 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 a key major key right there <laughs> wow that's that's wild and so yeah. so they're not because it's weird because especially uh you know a lot of baby snakes i'm used to like it, a lot of times they cue in on movement and stuff like that and that's usually how you get started it's like you want to go to live so you typically but they don't they don't really have that natural reaction to get started on a cricket that that's hopping around 
Yeah, I, I found I found out that like over the years, gargles for some reason are less they're less likely to go for crickets at a young age than like let's say a crested gecko. Crested geckos are usually on it the first time you you show them a cricket. Gargles, it takes them a little bit more. Um, so what I like to do is I'll throw crickets in there, a couple because if you throw too much, it's gonna overwhelm the animal. Um, just a couple. If you see that he goes for them right away, then you don't got to do anything. You could do it like once a week and, and start feeding from there. But if you don't see that the animal is going for them right away, um, you could do that trick I talked about, you know, and, and usually that gets them going. And then you could just throw live crickets in there afterwards. They got a taste for them and, and they go for them by themselves. And what's the typical growth rate on a, on a gargoyle gecko? I mean, how long does it take to get them to maturity? So it, like Manny was saying earlier, it also, it depends on the individual, but for the most part to get to sexual maturity, it's going to take about two years. Uh, if you, if you keep the temperature 78, 80 degrees and you're feeding, feeding them constantly, making sure that they always have food available and also supplementing with insects, insects is a big thing. If you feed insects once a week, they're going to grow a lot quicker. The same gecko will grow three times quicker on insects once a week than a gecko that's not being fed insects. So feeding them insects and also, you know, keeping it a little bit warmer, making sure they have food available at all times. And the first two, three or four years of that animal's life are super important. If an animal is, you know, four years old and it's still this big, you can still get it to full size, obviously, but it's not going to be as big as it could have been if you, you know, kind of like were on top of it when he was in the first two years. So it seems like, you know, most people want to keep these at room temperature. They want to keep them at like 70, 72, just in their house. But it seems like if you want to be yeah. a breeder and someone doing it on a consistent basis, I mean, you want to be at that higher range. Yeah. So, um, so for the babies, I would say like, like baby babies, 75 is like the sweet spot. It's a perfect temperature, even for crested geckos. As they start getting a little bit older, putting on more size, put them at 80 degrees, 78 to 80 degrees, and they'll and they'll start growing a lot quicker. Yeah, it's I mean that's metabolism. Absolutely. And now uh, gargoyle geckos pairing. How do you how do you pair these guys? Do you keep them together? Do you keep them in groups? How does that work? So, so we pair them up in the winter time. And so when it's cool, their, their, their metabolism's a lot slower. There's, they're less likely to be aggressive to each other because they are slower. And we, we just make sure that they're paired up in a neutral cage and that they eat the day before and that they have food the day of. And that usually does the trick. Rarely, very, very rarely will um the the gargoyles go after each other viciously um also another important factor is to have a lot of visual barriers they'll have a lot of foliage a lot of branches and stuff that they could kind of like not be in direct line of sight from each other and they could kind of hide from each other if they feel like they want to do that and that usually gets rid of all the problems yeah and you also don't want to like let's say you have a cage for your female gargoyle and then you put that male in there like no you kind of want to either clean everything down so there's no scent so that makes it less likely for them to be territorial over mm -hmm. the other one. Exactly. And how do you know that these things have bred? I mean, do you see breeding behaviors? Um, yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes you just, I mean, there's no way I could keep like 
I could check for every single copulation of all the gecko groups I have. So, but 99% of the time they will breed and they will produce fertile eggs. So we just put them together. Sometimes you will see the males go right after the, the female. They'll, they'll kind of like bite them. They'll kind of be like clucking and they'll bite them on the back of the neck and then they mount them and do their thing. Other times they don't do anything, but you just keep them together and then nature will take its scores. As long as you know, the, the temperatures are right, you know, the mood is right. The, the animals will do their thing. Yeah, I think I was I was really surprised when when I really tested the patience of a gargoyle gecko and it made a noise at me. I was really surprised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, gargoyle geckos are very vocal. Is that something that they use? I mean, it seems like they do they use it as a defensive thing, but they also use it as a mating. Thing. yeah exactly they're they're very vocal and if you so gargoyle geckos are very vocal but lichianis are even more vocal and they use it to communicate with each other they use it to be defensive like tell them that oh, story <laughs> so once i had a friend over and uh we were showing him around and i was like let me show him the biggest lychee we got you know something impressive like when you think of gecko like you don't imagine a gecko the size of your forearm so I was like, let me bring out the biggest one. So I'm looking at him, and he's on the bottom, and I go to grab him. He looks up at me, and he just does a scream from hell that I've <laughs> never heard before. And I was, it freaked me out. And I, was, I literally just Close grabbed it. Up, grabbed the up. It's like, all right, I got this other one over here. It's nicer. <laughs> yeah, so, so they'll do that as a defensive, but they also cluck, and, like, they they communicate with each other a lot. I think the the leeches have the lot largest yeah. range, right? For the uh, for for um back geckos for sure. Might even be lizards. Like like vocal range? Yeah, yeah. vocal range, yes. Wow. So what does what does a scream sound like? <laughs> I mean, oh, sure. <laughs> um man, I think I'm just gonna have to enact it because it goes <laughs> ah, I'm like but louder than that. And Man, oh, sorry for screaming in everyone's ear, but it was like that, but louder. It pierced my soul, and I was like, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. You're going to go back to in your, uh, up there, and uh, I'll pull out another gecko. Well, at least he let you know. I mean, what is what is the bite of a lychee like? It's it's pretty – It's it hurts for sure. <laughs> the good thing about lychees, though, it's not like a toke gecko. Where a toke gecko will clamp on and will not let go. A lychee will – just hits you, kind of like a snake. It hits you, and then it, just to let you know, like, yo, don't touch me. And then it'll just kind of puff up at you and stuff. Yeah. It'll scream at you, maybe. But they'll de they can definitely draw blood. Oh yeah, especially yeah. The no, ones. I had the other day a juvenile this big bit me, and it drew blood, and I was like, wow, you're not even that big. So I guess going back to on topic what we were talking about, even though I mean I love talking about screaming leeches. I mean I gotta go down that road. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we're talking about breeding gargoyle geckos, so uh, pairing them, all that good stuff. But what happens when you get eggs? How often do they lay eggs? So gargoyle geckos aren't as prolific as crested geckos. My crested geckos, almost like on the day, thirty days every month, they will they will lay eggs. Um, crest, uh, gargoyle geckos are a little bit uh, more irregular, but still pretty consistent. Not, it depends on the females as well. Usually, like the first breeding year for a female is not the best. Usually, the second, third, and so on, they start getting better. But um, it, it's about the same. Thirty to forty-five days usually, they'll lay a clutch of two eggs. 
incubation i mean do you guys have an incubator can you incubate them in the room yeah we incubate them at room temperature 75 degrees and yeah. literally we have a closet just for them and that's, that's it. it yeah are there any worries of temperature swings or can it be pretty pretty loose um so as long as it's like in the you know as long as it's not like one day 68 degrees and then the next day 85 degrees and like a spike that quick could damage the eggs could damage the embryo and stuff but um no it's i mean it's pretty much this this facility is pretty much at a constant 76 77 degrees so uh there's just kind of like any home you know kind of maintains a certain temperature yeah and you know it's not too many And and if you're at home and let's say during the nighttime you drop your temp you know let's say you're at 68 at night or something and then during the day you put it to 75 that's fine as well the geckos will hatch normal it takes a little bit longer when they're a little cooler but the, the geckos should still hatch and now i mean even just for keeping geckos i didn't even think about that like temperature swings um just keeping is that okay say even if it's within that range say 72 to 80 during the day is that is that anything to worry about no the the, the animals will handle it fine just like in nature, you know, there's going to be warm days yeah. and cold days. I think those temperatures, sw- like obviously nothing drastic, but I think those things are very important and it helps the animal, not just with lighting, but also temperature, tell the difference between night and day because, you know, usually the days are a lot warmer and the nights are a lot cooler. So I think that is very important. And I, I actually seen some studies for, with people that you sleep a lot better when the temperature does drop. So it might work the same with, with these reptiles. And now... As far as like setting up a room and stuff like that, I mean, how do you how do you suggest people keep uh, one gargoyle gecko? Okay, so for one gargoyle gecko, you get let's say you want one pet, you could keep it in like um, a lot. The exoterra tanks are very good if if you just got to monitor the humidity a little bit better because they do have that screen top. The humidity kind of like leaves, but a glass tank usually holds it pretty well. Uh, in the past years ago, I never provided water bowls for our crested, for our gargoyle geckos, but, um, but it's, it also depends on your environment, right? Because in the, in my mom's garage where I was raising them, the humidity kept was uh, at a constant higher. Now, when we moved to this facility, we had some changes and we were like, Oh, now like the humidity has dropped a little bit. So obviously the geckos, we want to make sure the geckos are still healthy. So you, so we started providing water bowls so they could drink water whenever they want and kind of like stay healthy. So um, for a tank, you as long as you give it a good misting and you have a good substrate that's going to hold the humidity well um, and a water bowl, you might just need to mist once or twice a day. You could even add a, a, a what's it called, like a humid hide um, if you're, you know, in a really dry place. For temperatures in the 70s, like we were saying, room temperature is the best. Anywhere from 70 degrees up into like 80 degrees, 85 degrees is a little bit pushing it, but it will work as well for like the gargoyle geckos. And, you know, set up the enclosure with a lot of branches, a lot of plants, a lot of stuff for them to kind of climb around and hide in between because they do like to do that. Obviously, the food is going to be the Pangea, the Rapashi. And then, like I said earlier, the water bowl, we, we've started to recommend that recently because we see gar- we see geckos, gargoyle geckos and other geckos drink out of the water bowl regularly. 
Yeah, that is something that I do not do. So I wasn't sure if I'm a piece of shit keeper or is that something? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, man. So like I like I said, it depends. Before years ago, I wouldn't do that, and especially for babies. A water droplet makes up so much of their water intake that you might not need the water bowl. You know, so for babies and juveniles, you might not need it, but it doesn't hurt to have it if you only keep one gecko. When when I had the when I was doing all these geckos in my mom's garage, I would be missing them every single day at night, and they would all get, you know, they would all drink well, and the humidity was, you know, higher. We are in Florida too, by the way, so that helps. Yeah, but, and their food too. They're, and they, they got a lot, and of they also get a lot of water from their food. But it doesn't hurt to have a little water bowl in there. Obviously, if you have a baby, don't give it a big old deep water bowl. Give it something a little bit more shallow so it doesn't. You know, there's no risk of it drowning or anything. But, uh, yeah, I've kept babies and adults for years without any water bowls um, because in the wild, it's not 99% of the time they're not drinking from, like, a puddle or anything. They're drinking. They're lapping up the dew from the, the rains. So it's just in captivity is a little bit different. And it's also easier to maintain to have a water bowl in there. Helps with the humidity, et cetera. So do you recommend, I mean, especially if you don't have a water bowl, I mean, misting every single day? It depends on the enclosure. It depends on the enclosure and depends on on your area. Like I said, um, if you keep an, an, a gecko in a, in a tub, like breeders do, tubs will hold the humidity, you know, depending on how much ventilation you have made into the tub, it will keep the humidity a lot better. So if you have a tub with one little vent of ventilation, you can't miss that thing every day. You're going to overdo it, and that could actually kill the animal as well. You could give it infections um, and, and, and a whole bunch of other problems. Now, if you have a, 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 the same gecko in a 10-gallon tank, you maybe, maybe you do want to miss it every day because the, the humidity escapes so easily out of the screen top, you know? So it just depends on the enclosure you have. Most people will keep their geckos in like an exoterra or a zoomed enclosure with a screen top. So for the most part, you can miss those every day without a problem because the humidity is always escaping. Is there any consideration you need to take to like not spray the animal? I mean, does that matter? I mean, I, I spray mine and they don't seem to love it, but I mean, is it bad for the animal or anything? No, no, it's not bad. Um, you could spray them. Sometimes it'll kind of just startle them, but um, a lot of times they'll get used to it and they'll just start drinking right away. Yeah, I don't know. My my crested were just super uncomfortable when I when I spray them. Yeah. Just make sure it's on mist mode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not <laughs> in the nozzle and yeah, hit him, hit him with the laser. But uh, so. Are you, um, well, actually, I should probably get into the, uh, Laura from, from Wind Serpents asked a, asked a great question earlier. So she was asking for, and she's asking for a breeder. So from a breeder standpoint, um, any guidance uh, for getting started in crested geckos on a budget? Um, so my, my piece of advice would be, if you want to be like a breeder, work with the stuff you like work with the don't go with like what's necessarily popular especially a lot of, if you don't like it yeah if you don't like it if you like it and it happens to be popular then of course go with it but a lot, i see a lot of people get into stuff because it's like oh they think that's gonna make them money 
nah, that's not how this works. I I lost a not lost, but it took a long time before we actually started making money, making profit. Animals is not the best business to go to if you want to make money. We do this because we like animals. All of us that do this do it because we love the animals first. And that that's what makes it worth it. Yeah, but, if um, you're doing it just for the money or just because I'm popular and you don't like it, you're going to get burnt out pretty fast. Yeah, not we, everybody has to be a breeder. You can enjoy these animals and, you know, just keep one or two and maybe breed those and not have to be a breeder. So just make sure that that's what you want to do and start off slow. I can't stress that enough. I see how many people we see in Repticons and then the next year they're not there. Yeah, they drop a lot of money on some... And they uh, lose all these money. crazy animals and yeah, yeah at the end of the day they just give up and lose money but that's why it's important to work with what you like because that makes it that much easier to keep working with it and um these these are live animals so we're working basically every day holidays weekends you know if it was with something we didn't like there's no way we would keep doing listen, it if i was selling wallets or something we wouldn't have to be here every day we could just have them in a storage unit ship them out but animals take a lot more work because Animals get sick. Animals need to eat. Animals need water. So do it because you like it. And also do it like start off slow. Don't rush into it because there's nothing worse than you have 50 animals that you're like, oh, crap. I don't really want to do this. This is a lot of work. Da, da, da. Build up to it. As far as crests go, I mean, I know that there's a lot of polymorphic uh, things going on, some line bread traits and also some uh, some morphs. So I mean, someone yep. someone getting into it as far as that goes. I mean, what are some cool uh, some cool things? What are like hot projects right now? I guess you could say. Man, so there's a lot. I mean, yeah. we're we're pretty biased. Most of our stuff is either pinstripe based or harlequin based. But the most popular and my personal favorite, our personal favorite, I think, yeah, yeah, say, is the lily white crested gecko because we love how white and bright th- that gene makes the animal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh man it's like we're just throwing that to everything trying to trying to make all new crazy lily whites and that's that's what our personal favorite is yeah the the lily white is a cold dom- mutation an incomplete dominant so it's very easy to reproduce and from one generation to the next it will get that much better it's so easy to like improve because before back in the day we still had animals with a lot of white a lot of cream and stuff but it takes so it would take so long and it's so much harder to reproduce and you know kind of like re refine a non lily white white crested gecko or cream crested gecko than it is a lily white the the that like um, that mutation is just like super special man we love that thing. It, they're incredible. And that photo is just one generation. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, exactly. That's one generation of us breeding it here. That one in there. So breeding this into into other mutations. I mean, are there are there or into other traits? Like, I don't know. What do you guys call? What do you guys call that? Like, morphs. say Harlequin. Yeah, call them morphs. Yeah, morphs. Okay. So are there are there certain morphs that detract from the lily white? Are there certain morphs that add to the lily white? Well, it, it depends on it depends on your taste. Um, for example, like if you put, we have found out that when you breed lily whites to like extreme harlequins, that that's what the lily white cream tends to stick onto the harlequin markings. So 
when you have an extreme Harlequin, it makes that much more white and that much more cream. And it creeps up a lot more on the sides sure. than when you do it with like a quad stripe uh, Crested Gecko that only stays the white about halfway. Exactly. So it, it kind of, you know, it's something we've learned over the years of breeding and stuff, but I think it, it, the extreme Harlequins for sure, the extreme Harlequin pinstripes, man, that's like the, the pattern that the lily whites get is a lot more like spontaneous than like a regular Harlequin or a regular pinstripe. So that makes it a little bit more fun. And as far as um, mutations that would kind of detract from it, would be like I think like some of the Phantom Pinstripe Lily Whites. They're very neat, but in my opinion, they're not the best. Like I, I rather have an Extreme Harlequin Pinstripe Lily White or or a Pinstripe Lily White than a Phantom Pinstripe Lily White. That first photo you actually pulled up um, was from a Extreme Harlequin Lily White, and that's why there's so much white covering it's, the sides, the face, yeah. everywhere. And now there's another popular, I guess you could say traditional mutation, uh, Exanthic, right? So do you guys work with Exanthic and have you crossed Lily White with Exanthic? So we, we do, we have one Exanthic male. And so the Exanthic, like, you know, it's a recessive mutation and we did pair him up to a female Lily White, excuse me. So we will have Lily White pet Exanthics eventually and then in another generation we will create lily white asiantics which a couple i think two people have already done and now say you're exanthic in leopard gecko or sorry in crested geckos is is a little odd i mean they're they're a little bit darker right yeah so the xanthic geckos are like all gray or some will get really close to black and some will be more of like a brown or a light gray coloration. Uh, but yeah, they it's it's cool because you see some of them that have like specks of like um, the pattern on them, it will be like pure white on these antics. And so what does that do in combination with uh, with a lily white? Because I mean, you're you're basically going white and black. Yeah, exa that's exactly what it does. So the lily whites, there are some lily whites that are very, very high white. And there are some lily whites that are more cream looking, that they don't look as white, they're more cream. So when you take away the yellow from the cream, you're going to get a pure white animal. Now, for some reason, Xanthics haven't, like the Xanthic geckos don't get that much pattern for whatever reason. The, the Oh, that's my picture. <laughs> the Xanthic the um, geckos, the exantic gene kind of mute mutes the the pattern on a lot of them, but when you put it to the lily white, the lily white comes through and it makes like a gorgeous black and white animal or or gray and white yeah, and so, pure white, not cream. Yeah, like real, real white. A lot of the geckos you see are going to be more cream white, but um, this is actually the first year that they were produced, so they're still the the first couple lily white exantics are still babies, so we don't know exactly. How, if that's going to hold up, how they're yeah. going to look as adults. So this is still all very new. Yeah. Now, this is something to where, I mean, even, and I mean, I haven't been in, in it for a long time. I mean, there was zero, like, legitimate, I don't want to say legitimate, I don't know how to put it, but morphs in, yeah. in crested geckos. So what is it like to be on kind of like the forefront of this whole thing? It's fun, man. I mean, we, it's, it's exciting to see that, we're creating new combinations of, of Morris and stuff. And 
for the longest, uh, people will say, you know, crested geckos are polygenic. You never know what you're going to get, this, this, and that. That's not true. A lot of these traits, they're, they're recessives or they're cold dom mutations, but people don't know how to – the thing is, gecko people don't know about genetics like, like snake people do. So gecko people just say, oh, yeah, just something weird came out. But when you know what you're looking at, I think that's like a lizard person thing, except yeah. for leopard geckos. They got it yeah, leopard pretty, people pretty down packed. But I think it's because it's a lot more subtle. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, like in ball pythons where it's an albino. You're going to tell right away that's an albino ball python. Some of these codom traits are just the pattern, and it's, and it's very variable from each individual as well. So it's a lot more subtle. So I think that's what kind of, you know, like kind of – throws people off a little bit or confuses people. Yeah. For example, like when you pair up uh, two pinstripes together, you will always get pinstripes, pinstripe geckos. It's not like you're going to get one random, you know, whatever, Dalmatian, super Dalmatian crested gecko out of that group, uh, out of that pair. You will always get pinstripe crested geckos. So especially now if you have a gecko that has – a couple different traits like Dalmatian spots, pinstripe, harlequin markings, then you're going to get a blend of that stuff. But it's not as, it's not random like people think it is, or a lot of people think it is. And now when you are putting those to say the lily white and the exanthic, are you seeing the same thing in which like that phenotype will come out first generation? So with the lily whites, yes. A lot of the lily whites will, the phenotype, with the exception of maybe Dalmatians, Dalmatians for some reason are harder to um, combine with lily whites. Uh, but I have seen lily whites with Dalmatian spots, but I've never seen a super Dalmatian lily white. Now, maybe in the future we will, but it for some reason it, it kind of like takes the lily white takes away from the Dalmatian spots. But with every other morph like Harlequins, Pinstripes, etc., Reds, it kind of like enhances it. Um, with the Azantics, the Azantic mute everything out pretty much. Now, there are some Azantics that will keep uh, pinstriping, but a lot of them will actually lose the color as they get older. So they'll hatch out looking nice and white or with some cream on their back, with some white on their back. But as they get older, they lose that for some reason. Now, with the Lily Whites, it doesn't seem, the Lily White Azantics, it doesn't seem like that will be the case because of the way the Lily White uh, markings kind of go on the gecko. But, you know, we're still kind of new with these Azantics and, and, and Lily White combinations and all that. So we're going to have to find out in the next couple of years. I think like the oldest Lily White Azantics, what, like a month old, two months old. Yeah, so we yeah. still don't really know. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever expect like, this is kind of random, but this part of the hobby to be so big? I mean, just over, over the last five years or so, I mean, Crested Geckos, uh, New Caledonia, Caledonian geckos yeah. in general have just exploded in popularity. Yeah, uh, I, I, I kind of, I mean, obviously you never know to what extent, but I did think they had a lot of potential. And that's why I kind of like went with them. And because they're just so, there's so much variety with them and, and they're so easy. So I thought like this could be like, you know, I mean, when we when we got in, they weren't as popular, but they're they're already picking up. Like they're already on on the rise. Yeah, we you could see it. There was they were pretty popular at shows. That you know, it wasn't something that 
at least when we got into it, you would see maybe one table, you know, with a yeah. couple animals. Like, no, there was already a good yeah. amount of people working yeah. with them. Now, every show you go to, every reptile show, there's at least, you know, five, six people that are strictly Crested Gecko breeders. Yeah, I think they really pass the general public test like nothing yeah. else as far as, uh, you know, our snakes, even a corn snake, a little corn snake will turn people off. People will be scared of it. Crested geckos, honestly, are just fucking adorable. So people just yeah. are drawn really, to them naturally. Yeah, they're such a perfect blend of easy to care for, smaller size, but not too small where it's going to throw off somebody. You know, it's not too small where they're going to be scared of, you know, to kill it. Um, their diet is super easy. There's so much variation in colors and they're docile. So I think it's kind of like for snakes, like ball pythons. You know, there's a lot of morphs. They're smaller. They're, they're, they're not, not aggressive. Easy, not aggressive. So I think that's why they're so popular. It's because they're a perfect blend of all of that together. Or a balance. Yeah, like yeah. A balance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I really underestimated the not feeding rodents. That's a huge thing for first-time reptile keepers too. So yeah. Sure. Yeah, so I mean, they just they just make amazing pets. And what's the ideal look for crested gecko? I know there's some uh, as far as like body shape and crest and stuff like that. I mean, what are you guys looking for? Yeah, so generally you want to make sure that the the crest is you know nice and triangular. Now it doesn't have to be the biggest crest in the world. That depends on your taste, but you generally don't want to have an animal that has what we call like a bald head, where the it basically has no crests. It just, I mean, the animal is still going to be healthy and everything, but if you want like a perfect specimen, for example, you want a nice triangular head, you know, a nice, like a medium-sized uh, snout, a nice thick tail. Um, you don't want like a pencil tail. Uh, and obviously all the limbs to be nice and muscular. You don't want an animal that's too fat. You don't want an animal that is going to be like, because that, all that stuff, as the animal gets older, it's just going to decrease its life. So a lot of people think that these animals are like, oh, yeah, feed it every single day. No, reptiles in the wild don't eat every single day. So you don't want to make sh- – you don't want to overfeed the animal. You don't want to make sure that – you want to make sure that it's, you know, nice and fit and healthy and it gets enough activity in its enclosure. Yeah, I just started paying attention to the crested gecko groups, and I did not know that crested geckos could get so fat. And now I know I've seen some morbidly obese ones that are pretty obvious to spot. But I mean, how do you uh, how do you realize that, a, or I almost said a snake, that a crested gecko is getting just a little bit overweight? Um, well, you will see the males tend to be a little bit leaner than the females, um, and the but but generally you'll just see like. Um, like just like the the pouches of like the rolls basically on the on the on the adults. Yeah, and as far as uh, cutting back and putting them on a diet, I mean, you just space out meals more so. Yeah, you could space out meals more. Um, you could uh, feed for an adult crested gecko. You could feed once or twice a week. Um, yeah, and space out the meals. Give you a little put it bit on less. Treadmill. Put it on the gecko treadmill. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, handling, handling wise, uh, is it is it bad to handle your gecko too much? Uh, can you do damage to it? Uh, well, obviously, you want to be careful. The animal, it's a it's a smaller animal. You don't want to, you know, you don't want a little kid to like grasp it tight or whatever. When you're handling these animals, if when you're 
handling it with a closed hand like that, if you're kind of like making it walk through a tunnel, that's going to feel, it's going to make the animal feel like it's getting taken by a predator, right? So you kind of want to just let it walk on you. Now, some animals will be more docile than others. Some will handle handling better than others. So it depends on the animal as well. Babies and juveniles in particular are a little bit more skittish because the world's trying to eat them at that size. So you want to make sure that you handle them, get them used to handling, but don't overdo it when they're small. You know, I would say handle, if you want to handle your gecko frequently and their babies, handle maybe three or four times a week for a couple minutes, 10, 15 minutes. As it gets older, they'll tolerate it a little bit better. And you'll see your gecko, like there's geckos that as soon as you touch them, they'll dart and they start scrambling and they'll wiggle their tail. Maybe that gecko you want to leave alone. Um, there's some geckos that you could just go in there, pick them right up and they will not mind it. So most, most crested geckos and gargoyle geckos are going to be like that. They might jump a little bit, but that's normal. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it, it really depends on the individual geckos. We have some that are absolutely crazy oh, and then yeah. some that you could take out, put on your shoulder and just stay there for like hours. Uh, one of his old crested geckos, he actually took a nap with it on his hand and he yeah. woke up and it was still True there. Story. So. True story. <laughs> I, one time I had my gecko and I fell asleep. And then I, when I woke up, the gecko was still in my hand. I was like, okay, so <laughs> I was freaking out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I noticed that with my animals is that, you know, some will will move around a bunch and some will just not move at all. I'm like, hey, dude, I want to see you like jump to my other hand. I was like, put my hand out just to see him jump. Like, I'm I'm no better than like a 12 year old from the, the Facebook <laughs> forums or whatever. Like even that. Us, even us to this day, we're just like, just kept trying to get them to jump for one hand. That's our party trick when we yeah, have people. We have, we're, like, we have, we're like, come on, man, jump, jump, you do it. They touch him on the back to get him to jump. And I think I think and one he, thing that that also I've experienced and that is somewhat somewhat new because I'm, you know, you get comfortable with what you keep after a certain amount of time, and like me keeping a corn snake is extremely thoughtless, but yeah. But keeping a crested gecko, I'm like, I'm worried about like vacuuming or something and I'm going to like make it drop its tail or, I mean, I, the last thing I want is I have all these perfect little crested geckos. I don't, I don't want any frog butts here. Uh, how do I avoid that? And what are, what are some things as far as uh, what will make them drop their tails? So, so you gotta, they drop their tail as a defense mechanism. So as long as they never feel like their life is in danger, they should be fine. If you handle them properly, you don't squeeze them. Like I'm telling you, um, if you let them walk on you for the most part, they're going to be fine. If make sure their enclosure is nice and set up where it's not, nothing's going to like fall over if they jump. And then, you know, if something lands on them, they might, that might spook them and make them drop their tail. Make sure your cat or your dog doesn't mess with them. Um, yeah. <laughs> do keep in mind when you are breeding these animals you, you are taking that risk that they're yeah. going to throw a tail or something because there's going to be a male gecko chasing the female or the female sometimes fighting back and they could definitely lose a tail or two yeah yeah so i'm guessing and i mean that probably goes for for most breeders right that, that's not a turn off at all for you guys i'm sure no, no, no. In the wild, when they were first collected, like none of none of the adults had tails because yeah. I mean they get one shot. You know, one predator comes and attacks they you, they throw the tail, tail, and their tail doesn't regrow. Yeah, I mean, and that's you kind actually, of you actually notice it that like when you when a gecko is like older and it has its tail and it doesn't work it out much, they get like a floppy, what we call floppy tail, and it's like mm -hmm. it's because 
their body isn't really meant to hold it for so long, especially without it being worked out. Yeah. Yeah, so you will see that if you keep a crested gecko, an adult crested gecko, in a very plain enclosure where the gecko is always sleeping upside down, a lot of times that tail will start to fold over. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, That is because, yeah, so their pelvic bones aren't that strong. So if they don't get enough exercise with that tail, eventually they will, you know, that tail will start to flop over. It's not going to kill them or anything, but it's just, it's not visually appealing. Um, But the way you, you know, you help that is by providing a lot of branches, a lot of things for their tail to have that prehensile, for those prehensile muscles to like cling on and that will exercise the tail and, and that will be, make it less likely for the echo to, you know, sleep upside down and for that to happen. Cool. Also nutrition. Oh, so nutrition will, I mean, that will, as far as like, is it protein content? I mean, what's the most important aspect of it? Well, like in general, you want the, the animal to have strong bones. So you want to have the proper nutrition, proper calcium intake and, um, you know, the proper diets. You don't want to feed just crickets for a crested gecko. Um, and when you do feed crickets, you want to dust them with calcium with D3 and stuff. Thankfully, a lot of these like bigger brands like Rapache and Penji, they kind of already did the hard work right. for us. Yeah. So um, all you really have to do is just feed them and you know, they'll be fine. Yeah. The problem is with when people ve- do start feeding Petco diets. Shout out to and- Petco. And <laughs> when, when people start like are feeding only bananas or something. Or only crickets. Or only crickets. That's when you start to see pro- like more problems develop. Do the the commercial diets that are available with insects do those suffice? No, um, it, it helps for sure. It's better than no insects, uh, but there's nothing better than the actual insect. It there's certain products like Rapashi Grub Pie that is a very good replacement for animals that won't touch any live insects at all. But nothing is better. Not just for the not just for the nutritional value, but for the, for just the behavior of the animal for them to actually get some exercise, you know, hunting and stuff and, and make him work for the food. Is there any replacement for crickets? So say, I know someone may say, Hey, I want to feed mealworms or something like that. You know, maybe a different insect. Um, yeah, you could feed, you could feed mealworms to crested geckos. You could feed dubia roaches or other types of roaches as long as they're, they're small enough. Um, the only problem with those is like if you throw them in a tank with moss, they're going to burrow. Yeah, you know, they're cr- gone. Yeah, crickets kind of mm-hmm. stay on top. The mealworms, you could put them in a dish. They're not as appealing to the geckos. Um, but the important thing is just making sure they have, you know, they're well dusted with calcium so that as they start getting, you know, more protein, their bones could keep up with that growth. Game of Morphs uh, had a quick question. He asked, yeah. we feed every other day. They seem to like the Pangea diet better than Rapashi and yeah. crickets and dubias once a week. Is that too much? No, that's fine. Every other day for the diets. and um, It do- depends on the age, though, of the gecko. Yeah. That's an adult. That's too much. Um, but if it's oh, like yeah, a yeah, younger exactly. growing gecko, yeah. that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. For like adult crested geckos, um you know that that if you're breeding them every other day and crickets once a week you could you could kind of tell you your animal will start to to gain unhealthy weight just make sure that you're keeping an eye on the animal obviously and that 
you know, because when the animal gets too too overweight, it's it's gonna be it's not gonna be as productive. Yeah. So yeah, their production there are certain decreases. times of year. So like especially during like the cooler months, you might want to feed just once a week. During the summer months, when when it's a little bit hotter, their metabolism's a little bit faster. Maybe you could get away with feeding a little bit more. And this is about adults. So if yeah. if yours is a baby, um, that's that diet that you're doing, that's fine. Yeah. If if you have if you have a baby or a juvenile. Feed that thing every. Make sure it has fresh food every day. Are there any special considerations as far as diet goes for, say, a female who's breeding and producing eggs? Yeah, so we we do like to feed insects for the breeding females. Um, for us, with so many geckos, it's a little bit harder to feed crickets to every single gecko that we have. But every you know every couple of weeks we go in there, we throw a lot of crickets so they could get that extra fat, that extra protein. It's also important to just keep an eye on the females. A lot of times, a female that's that's having low calcium um, reserves will the, you could tell on the shells of the eggs. So then you could you could supplement her with some liquid calcium. Obviously, you got to find out what your dosages are. Um, but it's you know it, so it, it's a it's really important to just keep an eye on your animals. As long as you're feeding the proper diet, so for the most part, these guys will be just fine. Yeah. And uh, what he was mentioning with the eggs is they're going to be like a lot thinner, basically. Um, they're not going to be as wide. They're going to be very, very squishy. That's one of that's yeah. one of the ways you know she's or she's having or, calcium issues. Or you'll see that they're like w- the egg shells like irregular, or they're ha- it looks like they have a, a bunch of stars. Their tails too. Their tails are, kind oh, of yeah, exactly. kinking up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's how you know she's having lo- calcium, low calcium issues. Yeah. Now, selfish question. Uh, I, I'm keeping bioactive right now with the with the crested geckos. Yeah. If if I ever decide to breed them, um, how can I tell that first of all that that they're breeding and that there's eggs in there? Do I just? So, it's gonna be really hard unless you have, <laughs> unless you, have, you set up a little tiny camera in that in that enclosure. Um, it's gonna be hard because obviously you know they're nocturnal and they're going to be doing most of their mating and everything at night when you're sleeping. Um, so it's for, in that sense, it's kind of hard to tell, but, and if you have them set up in a bioactive enclosure, they're going to lay the eggs every anywhere. And I've actually had geckos lay eggs in a bioactive enclosure. I didn't even know there were eggs there. And then I just find baby geckos, which is pretty cool. But yeah. if you're trying to be a breeder and be as productive as possible, that's not, that's not the best way to do it. But um, if you're just if you have like a pet like you don't have that many, then I would do that. It's it's a lot more fun. I'll tell you that. Well, some of the signs you see like when they lay eggs, you're gonna see they're a little bit thinner. Yeah. Maybe their spine shows or hip shows, kind of like other reptiles. So if you're you know, and once you kind of like find your first pair of eggs, you're gonna know like around 30 days later the next group of eggs should be. Here. So I'm gonna start keeping an eye out around that time. Yeah. What that that period of production? How long does that usually last? Oh man, they could go forever. The crested geckos, in particular, um, they the females will retain sperm. So if you breed your male and your female once, the female will keep laying clutches of eggs that are fertilized for the next coming months. Um, now, usually they start to slow down when there's a temperature drop. So in the winter time, the females will naturally like stop producing uh, viable eggs, and and that you know. That that usually happens when the temperatures drop, when there's less uh, light, and all that. 
So I guess to transition a little bit, Game of Morphs was asking, do you keep uh, Leeches and Chewies a little bit warmer than your Gargs and Cresties? Yeah, you 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 could. Um, so the Leechianas in particular, you could give them a little hot spot of like 85 degrees, even to like 90 degrees for an adult Leechianas, as long as they have somewhere to retreat that's going to be a lot cooler. Uh, the Leechianas... You could also put a heat pad. They will love to just hang out on the heat pad. Um, the Chihuahuas as well. The The main thing is just making sure that, you know, the animals have somewhere to thermoregulate on their own if they feel like they're getting too hot or too cold. And now uh, I guess might as well just transition fully on the lychees. I don't know. Uh, when did you first get into the lychee geckos? Man, I, I don't remember exactly. It's been so many years, but... I think as soon as you see your first couple of geckos, like, and you stumble upon a Lichianis and you see it's the giant gecko, the biggest gecko in the world, you're like pretty sold on it from the get-go, pun intended. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of different, I guess, islands, localities. Uh, how does that yeah. work? What are some things to look out for when you're, when you're trying to find a Lichianis gecko? So the localities, there's going to be, you know, the Grand Terre is the main island of New Caledonia, and there's going to be the the biggest giant geckos are going to be from that island. Now, there's a lot of crosses between those GT localities or GT and and insular island localities, but the biggest geckos are going to be the pure GTs. The ones from the smaller islands like Moana, you know, Pine Island, uh, Moro, those geckos are going to be smaller than the GTs, but they te- they tend to have a lot more color in terms of like the blotching and all that stuff. Those are the ones you're going to see with like a lot more pinks mm-hmm. or reds, some even with a little bit of purple, whites, you know, so those are going to be the more colorful Lichianas. Now with, say, green tree pythons, a lot of us in the trade um, find that Biox are more aggressive than pretty much the majority of the other localities. Uh, are there some of those discrepancies in uh, in Lichianus geckos as well? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the GT, the bigger GT uh, Lichianus are going to be a little more territorial. They're going to be easier to snap at you. Uh, but the insular islands, like the Nuanas and stuff, they're usually a lot more docile. They're not going to. They're not. They don't really bite as much. They're not as territorial, although there are ex- exceptions to every rule. Um, so yeah, it does. It does vary. Like it just it, it goes mostly by the size. Like the bigger animals, for some reason, are quicker to like, you know, to snap at you. They got some more bravado. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. So as far as price goes, I mean, I'm sure there's a giant discrepancy as there are in all reptiles with different localities and stuff like that. Uh, What's kind of the cheapest one and which is the most expensive one and which one is probably the best to start out with. So the cheaper ones would be the, the smaller Island or the Island crosses. That's going to be the cheapest. Our unknown lineage is going to be the cheapest. Um, And they're still, they're going to be a lot smaller, but they're going to be, very still very good you know uh, it's alichianis is alichianis it's an impressive animal but it's not going to be it's not going to get nearly as big as a gt lichianis which those are going to be a lot more expensive and they're going to be 
you know, in, in the thousands of dollars, a baby could be anywhere from $1,500 to $2,000, where uh, Nuana baby is going to be, you know, $600, $700, $800. And then an island cross, unknown locale, might be $500. So, yeah. And uh, one of the reasons why those bigger ones, well, not just because they're bigger, but they're also harder to reproduce. Exactly, yeah. um, the the GTs, the Grand Terrors, they're a lot more aggressive towards each other, and it's harder to bond them to breed. Um, while and, and even even if they do, they don't produce as much as the insular islands, like the Nuanas, yeah. Nuamis, exactly. Moros. Those are much more prolific breeders than these Grand Terrors, so that's why they're gonna be the Grand Terrors are gonna be a lot pricier, and they just happen to be the much bigger geckos, which is a lot cooler. Yeah. So can geckos kill each other? I mean, during breeding? 100%. Yes. Um, we, the pit bull. Yeah. So I had this, uh, a chihuahua that chihuahuas, now crested geckos, gargoyle geckos are less likely. Anything can happen, obviously. But when it comes to the chihuahuas, the, the trackies, the giant geckos, the lichianes, those are going to be a lot more um, challenging to pair up because you can't just put a male and a female together because they will kill each other. They'll tear, tear each other up. I've literally had a, a Chihuahua gecko that I paired up with a female, beat the female up so bad that the next day I found her, she was super weak, and then the, like a couple of days after she passed. So it's really important to you know keep an eye on the new pairing especially and do the proper you know take the proper steps that you need to to make sure that these animals are going to get along you know you're never you can never be 100 percent sure but there's a lot of things you could do to kind of like increase that risk yeah exactly so like it's it's pretty sweet with the crested geckos you can like throw one male in with five females and if he's vigorous enough he'll get the job done with all of them yeah, with the most of the time they do yeah and with the but with the lychees and chihuahuas you really got to be careful like you're saying you really got to watch them especially in those first few days you you know you gotta want to see if there's any scarring if and if they're one's beating the other one up and usually a good sign, you know, if they're doing well, they're going to be sleeping right next to each other. Yeah. Um, so if you see them like a uh, complete opposite ends of the cage that, you know, something it's not really going too well. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned crosses. I mean, mutant geckos asked with lychees are crosses generally frowned upon. Uh, so if it's an unknown cross, yes, a lot people prefer the, like the pure localities, but also there's a group of people that also prefer the higher color stuff. And in order to get that higher color stuff, you're going to have to cross them. So it depends if, if you have um, like a really high colored animal that has super big blotches of pink and, and purple and stuff, that's going to be very desirable. It doesn't matter if it's a cross, people are still going to be, you know, wanting that. Now, if you have a gecko that is, a mutt, it's a cross of all types of localities, and it's not very colorful, People, it's going to be a lot less desirable. Now, people, you know, like anything else, people are going to be like, yeah, you should only make them pure. Um, you know, you should only breed pure uh, localities. Some people don't care. So, so it just depends on the person. Yeah, and I don't think it's as bad with Lichianus as it is with other animals. Um, I think it's because they're all – the same species yeah um so you know it's more like locale crosses and like he was saying like you do get a lot of these visually appealing animals when you do do the crosses and as we were talking about before the grand terrace they're not very colorful almost not at all yeah and then 
when you start getting the big size with the colors when you're crossing the the Grand Tours of the Island locales, it's very, very like visually appealing. Yeah, that is a uh, that's something with with snakes. It's even even the locales. People are worried that basically once you cross them, obviously they're never going to be pure again. It's not like you can ever make a cross pure again. So right. people are worried that they're going to lose them forever. Um, there's not really that fear in in Lichianus geckos. Yes, there is. But the thing is, sometimes the pure localities, when when you keep breeding those together, they're not going to be as um, as viable. So there are a lot of breeders that do their best to diversify their bloodlines as much and keep them, you know, with the same pure locality, with the same locality. And then there are some breeders that will, they don't do as good as a job and then the animals are going to, the, the, the viability of the animals is going to start to go down. You might start to see, you know, smaller animals or whatnot. Yeah, and there's so. more, you know, uh, deformities. It's just there's not too big of a gene pool, unfortunately, with with a lot of these geckos, and especially because we can't import them from New Caledonia. So what we have is what we got and what's been here. So, yeah. Isn't it wild to think that, I mean, a lot of these species were kind of on the brink and now there's thousands of them in the pet trade, which I'm guessing stems from just a very, very small amount of, uh, of animals. Yeah, I mean, there's there's more crested geckos in the United States than there are in New Caledonia by far. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's wild. It's crazy. So for Lichianus geckos, I guess we can bring it back to the start. Uh, when you get a baby, I mean, what are you keeping it in? How are you keeping it? Very simple setup. I'm keeping it in a small uh, enclosure. We use either paper towels or mulch. We give it, um, you know, like little cork tubes for it to hide in. But very, very simple. We don't, you don't go overboard and give a, a baby lychee a huge enclosure. These guys are very, when they're, when they're that size, you want to make sure they're they could find their food very easy and that they're going to feel comfortable in secure spots that they could hide in. And now they're, they pretty much stay in like tree hollows or something. So yeah, I've heard that things like, like tubular, I mean, is that a, I don't know if that's a word, but uh, yeah, tubular, <laughs> tubular dude. <laughs> um, yeah. So in the wild, actually the, the, a male and a female will pair bond and they will find the tree hollow, and that's where they're li- they will live in for the most of their life. They'll lay their eggs there, and they will go out into the you know to eat, and they will come back to the same exact tree. Like they scent mark, and they will go- come back to the same tree. So they they like the hollows the the hollows in the trees a lot because they you know it creates a little micro habitat in there. The humidity is perfect for the eggs. You know, if it's raining outside. It, protection from predators prote- as well. Protection from predators. So naturally, they're going to be drawn to those cork rounds that we have here in the pet trade. And you'll see, like, every Lichianus keeper that, you know, that has done this for some time will have cork rounds because that's where they like to hide in. And, and that's how they live in the wild, too. And now feeding. I mean, are you doing the crested gecko diet for these as well how does that work yep same thing same thing they obviously a lot more serving size um but crested gecko diet they will eat insects as well so obviously for a bigger lizard you're going to need a bigger 
uh, prey items. So bigger roaches, superworms, hornworms. Um, you can even some lichianas get big enough to feed them hoppers or pinkies. Mm. Pinkies, pretty much any lichianas can eat, but hoppers. Um, you know, even mice sometimes. It just depends on the the size of the animal. So are they a little bit more apt to eat, like say off tongs or something like that? Like you can just tongue feed a pinky. You could to a lot of them, but they they like the diet a lot. They they love the diet. Um, a lot, they're not like a chihuahua is a super like a great hunter. They will eat mostly crickets than than the diet. But a lichianis so like lazy wants to just sit and eat the diet all day without having to work for its food. <laughs> I guess it sounds like you're going to have an animal that, that hides the majority of the time. Yeah. So lychee, well, they're nocturnal. So during the, during the day, they're going to be hiding, but a lot of our lychee even we provide the tor- the cork rounds and everything. They'll just lay on the glass. They'll just be like on the glass. Um, or they'll, a lot of times they come out and move out during the day, especially if you have a light for them. A lot of them will even bask out during the day. So it's pretty cool for a nocturnal gecko. They 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 can be pretty active during the day. And do you provide these guys a similar water requirements? Do you provide a water bowl? Do you have to spray yes. them down? Same deal. Yes, one hundred percent. Big uh, for the babies. We still provide water bowls, but it's not as a big deal as for the bigger adults. You know, uh, uh, the bigger the bigger animal is going to need a lot more water intake than a baby so we do give them big water bowls and they they we've seen them drink multiple times i don't know and are these guys getting supplemental heat um some of them yeah so we keep our like i said earlier we keep this whole house like at 77 degrees so it's pretty it's kind of like the base temperature is perfect but um you can add supplemental heat as long as like i said earlier they have somewhere to retreat if they don't want to be that hot Cool. And when they are adults, I mean, how big are these things? How big does the enclosure need to be? So for like an adult Lichianis, um, like we were saying earlier, it depends on the localities. The, the, the smaller island localities usually could get up to like 200 grams, 250 grams. The bigger localities, the GTs, could get upwards of 350 grams. Uh, some will even get 500 grams, 15 inches long, 500 grams. That's like the biggest lychee ever, you know. So um, as far as the size of the enclosure, for like one adult, uh, like a 300-gram adult, you could, you could keep them in like a 24 by 24 by 24. You could keep them in a – for one of some of the bigger ones, you could keep in a 24 by 24 by 36. that will do so i think a lot of us are drawn to the fact that that these guys are known to to bond for life and you were talking about bonding a pair that sounded like a verb like you need to physically figure that out so how do you do that yeah it's uh you gotta take so uh, weeks before we pair them we switch their cork bark or we will switch the animals from one enclosure to the other so they kind of start to get used to the new scents, the new smells. Um, now, like we told you with the gargoyle geckos, we want to ma- pair them up when they're fed, when they're on a full belly and on the cooler months. If they're hot, if they're warm and their metabolism is going, they're a lot more likely to fight. So you want to pair them up when they're cooler. You want to pa- pair them up when they're 
you know, on a full belly, and we like to pair them up in a neutral enclosure. But but before we do that, we switch their cord bark. Um, you could even try putting one animal in a smaller, like a screen cage or something inside the bigger cage. So they kind of see, get, they kind of get that contact with each other and they kind of smell each other, but without the risk of them actually grabbing each other and, and having a, a, like a, a bad, bad pairing. And some good signs that you could see from the leeches, um, like Manny said earlier, is like when they're sleeping together, that's usually a pretty good sign. If the animals, when they lock jaws, that's pretty normal. But if there's a lot of like scarring, like missing toes or, yeah. or a lot of scarring in the arms or the body or blood being drawn, then that could be a little bit of a problem. Um, a lot of times they will rip each other's tails off. So that's not, you know, it's, it, it doesn't necessarily, some, some pairs are rougher with, with each other. They have rougher sex than some other <laughs> pairs. So it just, you got to really watch them. And, and some pairs, they don't, they pair bond, but sometimes you can have a pair that is together for five, six, seven years, and then they just start fighting viciously and you got to separate them right away. Well, it's like humans. So yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> they lock jaws. That yeah, seems okay. terrible. They're literally, because the, what the female's trying to do is making sure that the male is vigorous enough to basically breed her and have babies that are going to survive. So the female will test the male. She'll grab his jaw. They're, they'll be both like this locked jaw. And if the male ads go first, you ain't breeding me, homie. That's how it is. That's how they make sure they pass, you know, they make the strongest babies possible yeah. that are most likely to survive. I actually experienced that with betas back in when I was breeding them in high school is the female and the male will fight and the female will beat the male. And if he can't take it, she'll, you know, he'll, she'll yeah, kill him. If he can, then they'll breed and then they're fine. It's kind of weird. Oh, so this is, yeah, that is dangerous. A dangerous game yeah. you're playing there. Especially when you got $2,000 lizards that you're going to pair up, you know, it's yeah. very scary. So you got to be raising for like four or five. Yeah, years. exactly. Like, and you know, Lichianus to reach sexual maturity, it takes three or four years. So imagine you raise up this $2,000 lizards, three or four years, you put your baby in there and then boom, this thing like rips his tail off and it beats it up. So you want to make sure you do your, your due diligence for sure. And what do you, or what have you seen or, or heard as far as the like percentage wise, when you have two random male or a male and a female, I mean, what are the chances that it's going to happen the first time? Like, can you just buy a pair or do you always have to have insurance animals like a group? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I would say you should always have insurance animals. Now, like, like, we, like Manny said earlier, the, the li bigger island, um, animals, the bigger Lichianis are going to be a lot pickier with their pairs and they're going to be a lot more vicious, vicious with each other. The Nuanas and the smaller Lichianis are easier to pair up. They're not as like picky with each other. By the way, I'm going to grab the charger yeah. real quick. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just you and me, Joe. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> now and now we can talk shit. All right, for real. <laughs> <guy. laughs> oh damn, he's got the other ear button. Yeah, yeah, he's got the uh. earbud. Um, so like he was saying, definitely um better chances with the insular island um leechianus. And especially if you do what we kind of talked about with the switching the cork bark, the pairing up in the winter time with full bellies in a neutral case, that in a neutral cage that increases your chances of them successfully bonding by a lot. 
And how long are you keeping them together? Like, do you need to keep them together all breeding season, or is this for like short spurts? Now, for the Lichianus, uh, we'll just keep them together all year round for sometimes years, and they'll produce eggs when it's in season, and you know they'll stop producing on their own. And as long as they're not fighting, we'll just keep them together. But like he was, like David was mentioning earlier, this year we actually had a pair of of uh, Nuana Lichianus that were together for like two, three years, and perfectly fine breeding and then they just started beating each other up so um david next oh, next yeah. time you go out give give manny your your airpod because i can hear everything you're doing oh, <laughs> no. but go on manny i'm sorry it's on the, it's on the floor I got it. okay I'm coming back. <laughs> but yeah so yeah i kind of forgot what we're talking about yeah yeah um my bad i just needed to tell but um <laughs> Yeah, Lichianus, pairing together, all that good stuff. How do you know uh, when you get eggs? I mean, are they – you said that, that cork bark is a good place for them to lay their eggs. Are, are these eggs, like, sticking to the side of uh, of this cork bark? No. No, so they – so in the wild, they'll 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 put – they'll lay the eggs inside the their, their cork hollows, their trees, and they hatch in there, but – Obviously, here in captivity, we want to make it easier for us to be able to reproduce these guys. So what we do is we we give them like a big potting, like a potting soil thing. Yeah, like, like in a pot, like a where you like a pot, yeah, like a flower pot. <laughs> and then we fill it up with dirt, and the females will go in there and actually bury their eggs hmm. because they they feel the the humidity and yeah. the dirt, and they kind of like. They know that's like the best place, I guess. Yeah, and with them, you definitely got to be more on top of it because they're more infrequent layers than yeah. the crested geckos or the cargoyle geckos. So yeah, you so, kind of be on top of it. Look for signs that she laid, like you know, like the hips, the spine. Yeah, um, yeah. So like, uh, like we were saying, uh, the the Lichianis will give you, you know, if you're really lucky, you could get six clutches in a year, but most of the time's going to be like three. You know, and some of the bigger species, some of the bigger localities are going to be maybe one or two clutches. Um, so they're not as frequent layers. The the smaller island Lichianis are going to be pop, popping out eggs more frequently. But even then, it's not like a crested gecko or a gargoyle gecko. Sounds like, uh, you know, you need to buy these things in groups. They may kill each other. They don't reproduce a lot. Sounds like a, a good way to get rich, you know. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it, we keep we bought so many, so we get a little bit to play with. If like, okay, these aren't getting along, we could pair these two up. But if you do the like, for the most part, if you raise them up, you know, and and when you're about to pair them, you kind of like do what I've talked about with the cork bar switching and like kind of getting them used to it and you pair them up in the cooler months, the probability of them liking each other goes up. Um, so, you know, it's nothing is ever guaranteed in life, but if definitely not the best investment if you're trying to. As we said earlier, it's kind of like the hardest way to make money is with uh, yeah. reptiles. What we did, we were like, 100%. what's the hardest way we can make a living? Oh, breed reptiles. That's what we're going to do, basically. You ever you ever sit back and be like, why couldn't I be in anything else? Like I could have been into anything else, and I feel like I would have been like life would have been a lot easier. Joe, 
I think about that all the time. Yo, listen, I was a I, I, I was a realtor for some time when I was younger, like like four or five years ago. I hated it. Like I can make a lot more money doing real estate and but that's not at the end of the day, you wanna you gotta do what makes you happy, even if I don't make as much money. But even when you do and when you do what you makes you happy, you will end up like making a lot of money if you're passionate about it, you know. So yeah, and I think I think for us, I mean, it may be we don't really have a choice. Yeah. I mean, this is what we're into. This is what we like to do. This is what we're going to do. And yeah. uh, we got to suffer the consequences. Exactly. But I wouldn't have it any other way, man. These animals Absolutely. Are, are the best. Yeah. And you I mean, you guys have a hell of a collection. And uh, let's go because I, I, wa I want to hit. I want to hit the uh, the big four is what I'm going to call them for for now, which is so the the last one I guess is going to be the the Chihuahua Gecko. So okay. um, so those guys, I guess we'll, we'll go through the ringer as far as uh, phenotypes, locality. I mean, what yeah. is there? I I know absolutely nothing about these. So okay, so the Chihuahua, the mossy prehensile tailed gecko, which is uh, Chihuahua, is there's three different like localities and technically one is a different species or a subspecies i can't remember but that one that i'm talking about is so like almost nobody has it and it's also been mixed in with the mainland chihuahua so there's this the jalu chihuahua i think it's called the mainland chihuahua and then the pine island chihuahua the most common two in the united states are the mainland and the pine island chihuahua the most desirable one are the, the pine island chihuahua because they get a little bit bigger. Their colors seem to be um, more variable and they get like a nice white collar, a lot of them. So people really love the white collars and the white on their on the back for the chihuahuas. But uh, yeah, the chihuahuas are, there's like the, the three big type, like uh, different localities, I say, I would say. But the mainland and the Jalu have been like, because they look so identical that people didn't know what they had. And then they've been crossed a lot. So it's kind of hard to find pure of either or. And do they have any different phenotypes or, I mean, the ones I've seen look pretty basic, but are there other different things out there? Yeah. So for the most part, they're all going to look, they're going to have that mossy look with the Chihuahuas. Um, the there are some that are like reduced pattern or more pattern but the main thing with the chihuahuas is like the white collars people love the white collars um some will have like okay so you see right below that one has a little bit of a white collar um the high reds that's a beautiful one um just like a lot of different colorations of pink green brown red all in one animal and the intensity sure. of that coloration yeah well, exactly. some are like you were saying more are going to be more pink and then some are going to have more like of a blood red coloration so that's going to be like the main variations between them the amount of red green in the white collar as well yeah is there any difference in uh, behavior of these guys so um, for the most part, the the Pine Island Chihuahuas, the bigger ones, they will be a little bit more territorial for some reason. Um, and then the smaller mainland and, and the Jalu will not be as territorial. 
But um, as far as like the way they like go after crickets or like handle handleability, they're they're very simple. They're basically the same, yeah. Um, with the pine islands, though, they are like you're saying they're more territorial, so they are pickier when you're trying to uh, bond them to breed. Yeah. Um, so you kind of it's more like a lichian. It's yeah with yeah. those guys. So does that does that territorial? I mean, does that extend to the keeper and also to the oh, potential yeah. mates? Oh yeah, <laughs> like. I have, I'm like literally looking at my female right now. That female that I'm looking at, if I go anywhere near her cage, she's like on me. And then she'll literally chase me from one side of the cage to where my hand is to try to bite me to get me out of her cage. But once you get her out of the cage, sweet as could be. Doesn't try to bite. It's not like crazy or anything. But in her cage, it's like, yo, like move out of here. And Chihuahuas in particular, they're known for guarding their eggs. Leechies will do this too sometimes, but Chihuahuas will guard their eggs for like a day or two. And they're like just there, like willing to sacrifice it all. Waiting for him to come by with his hand to try to collect yeah. them. So what does one do in order to keep you from doing that? And um, and what does what does she do? And then what do you do to kind of uh defend yourself or get the eggs basically? So well she'll just kind of sit where the eggs are and she'll just literally stay there all day and if i try to put my hand near her she'll open up her mouth and let me know that if you get any closer i'm gonna bite you now what i do i'm not gonna just get bit so i grab a paper towel roll and i kind of like just push her out of the way and grab the eggs awesome i mean yeah that's that's a classic the the old paper towel roll yeah because they'll they'll go crazy on that paper towel roll trying to bite it <laughs> and i just kind of like move her as uh, size wise as as far as uh, if you're picking up a baby i mean how how big is a baby chihuahua um you know anywhere from like two to three inches and as adults they'll, they'll get pretty big pretty long you know 10 11 inches they could get pretty big too like the pine island will get bigger like we said so they could weigh like 80 90 grams i've seen them even most of the chihuahuas are going to be like in the 70 gram range the, of the Pine Islands. The mainland Chihuahuas are gonna be more along the size of like a, a Crested Gecko, like 50 grams or so. But the Pine Islands will get pretty big, yeah. What are we looking at in closure size? Enclosure size, you could keep them in like, uh, like one adult Chihuahua, you could keep them in like an 18 by 18 by 18 enclosure, you know, those cubes from Exoterra. You could do 18 by 18 by 24, they will also, use a lot of the room in there as well. Um, and then for babies, like kind of similar to like the, any other gecko that we keep really, like we like to keep it a little bit smaller just so we could track the eating better and, and for it to, for the animal to find its food easier. Sweet food. You said food. What are you, uh, what are you giving these guys? Yeah. So Chihuahuas in particular are very, very, uh, very, like attracted to insects so they we feed the chihuahuas a lot more insects than we do crested gargoyle lichianis or any of the other new caledonian geckos they'll eat they'll get insects two or three times a week and then diet once or twice a week um and they they absolutely go crazy for those insects they they will like where a crested gecko sometimes will kind of like lay back and wait for the insect these guys will like actively hunt them down and get them like snipers crested geckos are kind of clumsy when they hunt it's not sure who is they're very very like sniper like 
And do you vary up the diet at all? Is there any, uh, is there any method there? Yeah, well, we give them a lot of the same variety of the different diets, and we also provide different, you know, insects, roaches, superworms they love, uh, the crickets as well. So, yeah. Sweet. Uh, supplementation for, for females or anything different? Very important. Very, very important. Chihuahuas are probably the the geckos. They have the lowest hatch rate and reproductive rate of any of the New Caledonian, well, not any, but of the big four New Caledonian geckos, even lower than lychees. Um, and so it's very important that the females get the adequate amount of calcium. You got to be on top of the, the minerals and, and the, the calcium powders that you dust the insects with when you feed them. And then you also got to watch the females, especially right after they lay, they will be really drawn out. So you we hit our females with liquid calcium all the time and that just stay you know like a good good when you you pair these guys are they killing each other so so the story i told you earlier about that gecko that killed each other that hurt the and then that that was a chihuahua so they could definitely do it you have to be careful you have to watch the animals for the next couple days and obviously the same kind of thing i told you about for the lychees where we pair them up when it's cooler and we switch the cord bark and all that good stuff we do that for the pine island chihuahuas as well sweet and then uh do you need to have extra animals is there is there bonding that that happens so so obviously the the process is the same but are they picky they're, I don't think they're not as picky as like a, some of the bigger lichianes, but they can be. Um, there are some some animals, like some females that are super aggressive or some males that are super aggressive. So you do have to kind of like match the super aggressive male with a super aggressive female so they kind of like can handle each other. But um, they're not, not, not to that extent of like a lichianes where, where it's like, man, who knows if these two will get along. Mm. So game of morphs, and I do not know what this means. He asks, "Can you breed polytoes?" Um, polytoes. So, uh, so they're geckos. A lot of times that are selectively bred because they'll get like an extra little tiny toe, so like a sixth toe on their hand. Um, some people breed them like involuntarily. Some people like that. Some people don't. I don't really have an opinion of it. We don't really have any. Um, I can't remember the last time I produced one with that extra little toe, but it doesn't harm the gecko. And a lot of times they will even lose it by adulthood with like a shed or something. So is that thought to be just from like inbreeding depression or something like that? Most likely. Man, I did not know that. So, so that, can that be in any of these geckos? Uh, I've seen it on crested geckos. I can't recall if I've seen it on gargoyle geckos and I have not seen it on Lichianis. Or Chihuahuas, yeah. But I'm sure. I'm sure they're so similar. Like, I'm sure it could happen any with any of them. Man, I feel so unattentive. Uh, now I'm going to go check all my crested gecko toes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. It's 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 fun to, to keep something and be completely oblivious. Um, I know that, that that sounds bad. Obviously, I know how to keep them. But, like, the... <laughs> The little nuances of things that that exist within this realm of geckos. Oh yeah, um, 
is just like endless you know it, it's a whole nother uh it's a whole nother realm oh, yeah 100 percent, man there's people that are like experts in like one specific gecko and then another person that's an expert in one specific snake and it's like if you're really like dedicated your whole life to that one species you would find out so much more that you don't know even though you could keep it alive and keep it healthy in captivity but there's like so much more to like a lot of these animals that we don't know absolutely and and there's just there's just a lot of a lot of different geckos that fit into this mold that i didn't know existed until i started getting into it so i think there's a hmm what the what are those those green ones with like the very long mouths you know what i'm talking about the what the the, you're probably thinking about the cuban nitinols no no it's a i think it's a new caledonian oh maybe it's not um green one with a very long snout no no it's not a long snout it's like their their mouth goes all the way back to like their ear Oh, I think you're talking about the their uh their smaller ones, the uh the agri- the Eurodactyloides. Oh, okay. yes. Yeah, the Eurodactyloides, chameleon geckos. Yeah, Do they're you keep all those? Yeah, yeah. We actually we don't have any right now, but we've, you know, we keep them we we have them all the time. But yeah, they're yeah. they're me too. They're just as easy as the other New Caledonian stuff, and they're very active during the day too. Sweet. So if anyone wants to, and we hit two hours, and if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you guys, where can they find you guys? Um, well, on our website, email, social media, everything is Tiki's Geckos. So tikisgeckos.com on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, it's Tiki's Geckos. And yeah, we have, you know, our information is there. You can send us an email at tikisgeckos at live.com. And social media is the best way to reach us sometimes too. And I know that you guys put up a bunch of animals today on, on the website. Are you guys still doing uh, auctions on Instagram as well? Yeah. So the update was actually on Saturday. Um, and then we also do Instagram auctions on our, it's called Tiki's Reptile Auctions. Uh, that's an Instagram page. So at Tiki's Reptile Auctions, that's for the auctions on Instagram. Um, but yeah, we still doing this. We've, we've been doing this for some time. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that Lily white that went up for auction the other day. And then I was like, Oh, let me do this. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know those were that expensive. This isn't fun anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so it's a good for you guys is, is what I'm trying to say. But, uh, yeah, that was an incredibly beautiful animal. And just, I'm surprised how many people are interested in it. Like you guys just started the page. And I was like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there'll only be a few people here and, uh, and it won't be, you know, too much money. I don't, I don't know how much Crested Gecko morphs are, but yeah, man, it was, it was, it's cool to see just how much potential, uh, the, all the new Caledonian geckos have and, and what you guys have done with it is just crazy. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. Like the, the amount of morphs and I think there's still going to be plenty more to come. Yeah. We're just getting started. Yeah, I mean, you really just have uh, Exanthic and Lily White, and then there's so much there's so much room uh, for for different things to go on. So I'm excited to see uh, see what happens in geckos, and then I know that you guys will be right there. I don't know, Bino. 
Oh snap! <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully it happens here. There's even <laughs> pink crested geckos. That oh yeah, are out there. Yeah, there's 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 a couple crested. Ge- there's some that have like white toes that are like, like translucent some, almost. Yeah, they're like translucent, and a lot of these people don't even know about because they're just like private little breeders that in the Facebook groups that nobody knows about, and they post a couple pictures every now and then, but. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there, and if that stuff gets in the hands of a, like a, like, <laughs> a house, we'll make sure everybody can have one in their house. <laughs> so, is this pink? Is this just kind of a random thing? No, it's not. It's not like those. It, it looks like a leucistic crested gecko. Try, try um, searching leucistic crested gecko. Now everyone's going to see me struggle sp- spelling <laughs> leucistic here. <laughs> Come on, oh, you're still it. Right, right there. The first one. Those first two. That's a yeah, trophy gecko. Right there. That one. That one that you have selected right now. Not that one. That one. <laughs> yeah, some some are very like like similar. Or See, even these, these are just all types of different geckos now. Flying That's gecko. a leucistic flying gecko. Yeah. And toke was a pie. Yeah. Or, That's cool looking. I mean it's gonna be a toke gecko still but damn is that cool looking that little dead gecko that you saw there that's actually uh the super form of the lily white crested gecko which is pretty yeah. cool so far they haven't been viable but it's like a completely white leucistic looking crested gecko when you breed a lily white to a lily white whoa so so we we have uh you know that in snakes as far as as far as deadly supers and and usually, you know, the spider gene, the jaguar gene, and carpet pythons. And usually there's like some type of uh, like neurological effect on the the single form. Is is there anything like that in, in lily white? Yeah. So it, there there are some lily whites that can hatch out with a little bit like a like a head tail, like a almost like um the enigma rapper geckos, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, that they'll kind of like they'll like go one way or something um that tends to happen when the the eggs are incubated a little warmer um but it's it's like maybe like four percent of the lily whites that hatch and this is lily white to normals or you know non-lily whites when you do lily white to lily white like i was mentioning before the super form um they there's some that actually got to hatch but but died like right after and it's like an all like pink, almost like leucistic crested gecko, which I mean, you know, if you can get one to live, that'd be very, very cool. Maybe all we need to do is diversify the genes a little bit. Um, or maybe it's just like, you know, one of those fatal genes. Yeah, I, that's always fun is that people have been trying to, to prove out that super for like the last 15 years. Like, and there's always a new guy that comes along who thinks he's going to do it. Like as yeah. far as like, the spider goes <laughs> or the jaguar. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll be the guy. All right. It's not like it's not like you guys haven't tried, you know. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, guys, thank you guys so much for for hanging out. Thank you, Joe, man. Thanks I, for having us, man. Yeah, I appreciate your podcast. Awesome, man. We listen to it often, so keep doing you, bro. I appreciate it. As for me, poorcitypythons.com, poorcitypet.com, poorcitypet on Instagram, wherever. You got it. You'll figure it out. If you listen this far, you know where I am. Thank you guys so much for being here, and I will uh, catch you guys next week.